Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? Welcome to the Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright podcast. I am your host, Cybernetic Tiger, and this podcast is a bi-weekly dive into my interests and beyond, while chatting with friends and experts in those interests to help me on my quest to burn so bright. On this Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day in the United States in 2021, I wanted to have a frank discussion about the education gap that remains between students of color and their white counterparts. Well, I got it. Because of this episode's length, I'll get right to it. Please note that this episode was recorded on December 20th before the presidential election and Georgia senatorial elections were complete. Today, we're going to be talking about teaching BIPOC children, that's Black and Indigenous peoples of color, students in our schools. We're going to talk about the differences in learning that our students experience and what, from a Black male educator perspective, is needed, what they have found is not working in schools, and how we fix this. With me today um, are Aleem. Uh, he has a, a BA in history from UMBC. He taught for uh, two years at the elementary level as well as um, high school history. We have James with us. He has a bachelor's of science in uh, civil engineering from Morgan State University. Uh, he has been teaching for seven years at the public school level in engineering and tech. We have Coach Bryant. He holds an Associate's of Science degree from Atlanta Metropolitan, a Bachelor's of Science uh, from Kennesaw State in Health and Physical Education, and he has been teaching nine years with a middle school in Health and Physical Education, as well as this is his sixth year of online teaching for high school personal fitness. We also have Mark Stevens with us, and he has a BS in Marketing with a minor in Business Administration from Dell State University. He has been teaching for 29 years. He has taught English language arts, creative writing, reading, theater arts, and acting. I want to thank all of you for being here with me today. Before we get started, as we get started, I should say, there's a quote that I read from W.E.B. Du Bois that I thought was so poignant, especially this year, as we have just, actually, as we are still uh, in a voting season an election season here in the US. He said, we say easily, for instance, the ignorant ought not to vote. We would say no civilized state should have citizens too ignorant to participate in government. And this statement is but a step to a fact that no state is civilized with which has citizens too ignorant to help rule it. He wrote that in, of the ruling of men back in 1920. And here we are a hundred years later, and we still have this problem of citizens who are too ignorant to vote and not because they don't, not because they want to be ignorant, but because we have a system in place that keeps them so. With the education gap in this country still along color lines, 
how do you all feel about what is happening in our in our classrooms right now? We'll just we'll just kind of throw that out there for each of you. I think it's it's interesting you you started with a, a quote from uh, W. E. B. Du Bois because one of the quotes that I I um read from him and it says either the United States will destroy ignorance or ignorance will destroy the United States. So on a grand scale, um, that's definitely what we're seeing now. But as a student of history, it's the way it's always been sad to say from, from the inception of the beginnings of this country with the Europeans when they came and destroyed the indigenous cultures, bringing over, you know, stolen Africans, you know, colonialism in general. And because I'm biased toward history, um, people that don't know the history don't understand the importance of voting, the importance of the Senate, what what we're seeing is this, these whole MAGA, uh, MAGA marches and, you know, stop the steal and Trump talking about he's going to you know, go argue his case in front of the Supreme Court, not knowing that you have to be a lawyer to go in front of the Supreme Court. Little ignorant things like that and ignorant from the standpoint of not knowing, also from the standpoint of just being dumb, just being stupid. That's the basis for a lot of the things that happen in this country, including education. Um, I think, you know, when No Child Left Behind was signed, that was one of the worst things that could have happened, you know, because, you know, my mother and my father were both educators and, and we all know educators that have had to change test scores so they could get students passed and things like that. So the, the education system has always been biased against those of lower economic classes and social Thank you. I would say that um, during this time right now, especially during this pandemic, from what I've seen from my school district and being in Atlanta, um, Georgia right now with everything that's going on with uh, the presidential race and now the, the two senators in our state and everything that we are in a, in a pivotal point in where we are at with this pandemic, where we are in our country with education, Hopefully that President-elect Biden puts a person as a secretary of education who actually knows about education and not just filling a seat. But from my perspective, from what I've been seeing in how there's gonna be this big gap right now of students not learning or being in the classroom, it's going to be an effect that's gonna happen years to come. I was telling my students the other day that from kindergarten, you are trained to be in a classroom, sitting down, learning face-to-face -face with a teacher. That's what they've been trained to do. That's all they've known all their life. And now that we're in this situation, it is totally something brand new, not just for the teachers, the administrators, the students, and the parents. And so we all have to learn to adjust to this and I think, especially from my district is separated into three areas, north side, east side, south side. I'm on the south side. I live on the south side. I work on the south side. East 
in the North are the more affluent areas. And our district is influenced by those two areas and how the Caucasian people on that side of town wanted students to go back to school where those on the South side wanted their kids to stay home. And so it influenced our superintendent to make that decision for us to go back face-to-face -face and online, in which to me is the dumbest idea ever because one group of students is gonna miss out. I don't care if it's face-to-face -face or online, you can't treat them equally the same. And so I think there's gonna be, that's gonna be that disconnect right now for our students, especially of color, that is gonna be an effect that's gonna last a while for me. And piggybacking on what you just said there in reference to our students who, who are already being affected so much more so by this shutdown. In this pandemic, we've gone to this online teaching. How have, now you've already talked about some of how it's affected you in the classroom. How about we talk about what our Black students are, are saying, how they are feeling, how they are performing during this as, we're, as they have been learning online since April. Mark, I know you've had many thoughts on this. First, first of all, good morning, um, gentlemen and everyone. I want us to um, take a look in the chat. I um, just put in a quote from a man who I'll um, reveal momentarily. I think that a myriad of things need to be touched upon. When you, when you talk about what our children are being exposed to in this virtual situation and are they learning, aren't they learning, what, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think we need to touch upon a couple of things, maybe possibly to put it in perspective. The brother who spoke first mentioned the current president or the outgoing president and how we, if we're really honest, we're in this situation that we're dealing with, exposing our children to what we're exposing them to, having them relegate to different forms of education on top of the fact what the other brother spoke about, the kindergarten and de developmental experience and how it's been skewed. We're dealing with this. We're in this, you know, shoulder deep because of his inability to lead. This country, more than I've ever seen in, in my life here, has been brought down to the, the knuckles and knees of what it always feared it would. And that means that it has been largely and grossly impacted by the leadership of one person. But if you flip that in next to the quote that I just dropped, which is let our posterity know that we all, their ancestors, uncultured and unlearned amid all trials and temptations were men of integrity. There is no time better than the present for us as a black community to look to the men in our community to lead because this is the time that we have painfully fought for, for, for centuries. And if we don't take advantage of it, it may never ever appear itself again. This is the time where 
I've only now I've been alive for about I don't know eight or nine presidents, and I don't know about any of you if you feel this way, but if you're really really honest about it, if you think about the past presidents that you've been alive for, uh, I've been alive for Ford, I've been alive Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, the first Bush, Clinton, the second Bush, Obama. What what have these presidents done? specifically to address the severe needs of the black community. I, I don't really know if you can actually point to one and point to something that they've done. So I don't necessarily look to the president to do something to alleviate the problems. We have been forced to look at a lot of different ways to address them and education being one of them. So I say all this to say, this is the time right now for us to be the, the, the heads and the captains of our families and our communities to take the reins and to make sure that we take advantage of time to really, really teach our children what they need to know and stop relying on systems. There is not one system in this country that was designed, written, and conceived with you, 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 and you, and me in mind. Not one, not one, not one document, not one article, not one thing has ever been conceived, concocted and created with the black person in mind, not one. So this is the time for us with all this, with all of this uh, disjointedness for us to come together within our own homes and the walls and the sanctity of our own homes and start to teach our children what they really, really need to know. Now, in terms of the virtual education component, look, when we were in class, and I know, I know James feels the same way because we talk about this all the time. When we were in class, these kids weren't getting it. <laughs> when we were in their face, presenting education and teaching we are hired to teach whether for me it's english and james tech and whatever the subject was they weren't getting it but we were able because we were we were we were within the schoolhouse to look outward and see in some instances very glaringly why but see now we don't have any excuse these kids are home they're sitting on our couches they're sitting in their beds and comfortable in our chairs. And we have now the opportunity, unlike any other time, to truly teach them what they need to know. And we have to make sure that we strengthen that influence as much as possible. And for those of you who are black fathers, whose children live with you, even screams louder of, of an opportunity for us to make sure that they're getting a true and culture education amid all these trials, amid all this uncertainty, because the only man that has maintained integrity throughout the coarse and ugly history of this country is the black man. Thank you. That, I mean, that speaks to so much. Um, one of the things that you and I and you and 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 James and I have talked about um, in the past is the influence of, and not just the black male in the household, but black parents. Our children are underachieving and it's 
and we, we'll get into um, the study that Stanford University came out with the last September, um, September of 2019, I should say, about the crux of the education gap in, the, in this country. But regardless of what is going on outside of our homes, we have attitude issues inside our homes um, we've, that then translate into school. Um, my son, when he was in middle school, one of the things that he noted coming from a very diverse elementary school into a majority black middle school was that African-American students seem to act out. And he made a distinction. He said, not my African friends. He had friends from Africa. He had friends from India, Asia, those who had moved here from other countries were not the ones that he was talking about. He was specifically talking about African-American students and why, and asking me why they act out and why they do what they do in the classroom and why they think this is okay. And I did not have an answer for him. Um, as a Gen X parent, we were raised a certain way and we love to proclaim how we were raised a certain way. And yet we don't seem to be raising our students, our children that way to reflect our supposed, our upbringing, uh, upbringing. right? Yeah. yeah, in the classroom. And I, I, was, I was beat as a child. I'm not gonna say I wasn't, but I didn't beat my child. And yet he has, at least <laughs> for the most part, not that the same attitude as those, those children he was talking about. So can we speak to that before we talk about the, the education gap in this country? Well, let me go, let me, let me, let me go ahead right now. Mark, that was great. I was going, um, I was going to shut my computer down after you said all that. I taught in Baltimore, I teach in Baltimore County, right? And mm -hmm. I teach, I teach in, well, now I teach at Dundalk High School, but before I was teaching at Kenwood High School and they're kind of similar schools, right? I had a class 2018 year, right? Had, I, I teach, tech ed and I teach foundations of, of tech. So it's, it's majority ninth graders, right? So, you know, they, they're going from their transition from middle school to high school, they're trying to find themselves, right? So I had a class that was about 31 kids and about 20, about 20, 21 of them were, were African-American kids. And, and Kenwood, in my, in my six years at Kenwood, it's gotten a little more diverse than it was when I first got there, right? And when I say diverse, I don't mean just black and white. Now I see a lot more um, Spanish, Latino kids, and we have a big African population there as well, right? Um, but I had about 20 African-American kids in my class, right? Man, these kids were bad as shit. And I mean, I'm... I was the teacher at Kenwood where they would send the bad kids to me because they felt like I could handle them more, right? And because I was so used to teaching freshmen, I kind of expected, I give them some kind of leeway because I expect them to fuck up a little bit because they still trying to find themselves, right? Okay. So this class though was just super bad. Now, prior to that, 
that summer, right before school started, an administrator had told me that this was going to be the worst freshman class that we've ever had at Kenwood, right? Now, this was the summer before the school started. So they knew that these kids coming in were already going to be some trouble. So I'm pretty sure I wasn't the only people, only teacher having this problem, right? So one particular day, and it was early in the school year, I had fussed at them the class prior to that. And normally when I, I, I have these speeches and I talk to these kids, it, it takes a little bit while a little bit of time for them to start acting up again, right? But they com that completely was thrown out and the next day, they I feel like they were worse, right? So I said, let's go for a walk. I told them stand outside of my classroom. I had, took half the class, put half of them on one side of the hallway and the other half on the other side of the hallway. Now, if you don't know anything about Kenwood, it's in Essex, Maryland. And Essex, Maryland, if you ever seen the show Shameless, that is Essex, Maryland, 100%, all right? So my school look, looks like shameless, right? Our, we have so many kids that just roam the hall without anybody saying anything, right? Or kids just, and I mean, white kids are like so disrespectful, right? They come in in their pajamas, they high all the time. Everything that you see in Shameless, you see in Kenwood, right? And that's on top of the black kids acting a fool, right? So we're standing in the hallway. My classroom was right down the hall from the office. So the administrators are right there, right? So I take these kids out. Three black boys who were roaming the halls walked past me as an administrator came out. And she chastising them, right? She chastised them. Now, it wasn't even five minutes later. Seven white kids walked through the hall, and these three black boys weren't even making any noise, right? They all had headphones in, right? These seven white kids walked by, they laughing, they joking, they even stopped and said something to us, right? Because we're still standing in the hallway, and the administrator didn't say anything to them, right? So, I took my kids back in the class and I shut the door, right? So I had three white kids in that class, right? And it was a black girl that got in trouble all the time sitting next to this white girl who actually was a really good student in my class, right? And I asked them, what did they observe, right? They couldn't even tell me what they was observing. And I said, look, you would get kicked out of this school before she would. At Kenwood, they were so quick to send our kids to Rosedale because for anything, right? Like I've seen kids play fighting. I watched the camera. They, the kids was literally play fighting and the kids got expelled, sent to Rosedale and I knew it was a play fight, right? But I see these kids, these white kids all the time getting second, third, fourth, right? So I asked the kids, I was like, why do you guys act like this? I said, do you think this is cute? Where did this behavior come from? And I'm, and it made me ask them, what, were you like this in middle school? Was this allowed in middle school? Because if this was allowed in middle school, then you're not really the problem. Because we allowed this to happen. We allowed you to become what you are now. 
So to your son's point, right? Yes, the black kids do act out to me, probably just as much or more as, or they stand out, or they stand out. Because it seems like they're always trying to top what they want to be the baddest, right? But we allowed that. We either allowed it, and or we might even taught it. There's something to the way that we behave as individuals that make our kids believe that that's okay to be. It's, it's okay for us to behave that way. And you spoke on your generation, right? I'm in your generation as well, and and I was just telling my mom this that I know each generation tries to make it better for the next generation, right? But we let the shit go totally haywire, right? Our generation, I guess we the generation that had a little more than the other previous generations, but we kind of let our kids be free way too much. And we took the hand off of them, and now it's coming back to bite us, and we can't reel that back. We probably probably created a lost generation. Well, like, my, my mom started teaching in um, 1972 in, in Detroit. And um, she taught in Detroit, and then she taught overseas, and then she went back to Detroit. And she was done in 2012. And one of the things that she said that, you know, before she, she retired, she said, I'm a glorified babysitter. She taught in the heart of the west side of Detroit. And there was a white kid a white family in that neighborhood, all black neighborhood. And one day the, the the little boy came in, he was about 10, and he started saying the word nigger, nigger. And my mom was like, whoa, 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 you know, that's not right. And her being born in the 50s, you know, I was like, Mom, you gotta you gotta realize where where he is. He doesn't know that he's white, you know. But it it, it speaks to the community as a whole. Whatever neighborhood you're from, West Baltimore, West Detroit, West Philly, South Atlanta, um, it's like, you know, my mom said that, you know, our, our kids who are now, I'd say 20, I'd say anywhere less than less than 28, from 20 to 28, those are the kids um, of the crack babies, you know, um, and the, and then when you look at the, you know, what happened in the in the mid '90s and late '90s, we talk about the participation trophy generation. That's that's where we at, and so kids don't want to, you know, we didn't want to beat our kids. Um, a lot of kids, you know, I'm gonna call CPS and and things like that to where you have, you know, the difference and and how we act in our communities. And then you know, I think we administrations lead to to weak you know issues in the school so when you have a principal i would have called out the principal i would have said hey you know how are you treating treating everybody different because a lot of times it they don't they don't think like oh wait a minute i just treated somebody different because it's it's in them to automatically assume if you're black you're a troublemaker so i i want to speak on to what what james was saying about you know um, how students act in high school as a middle school teacher. And I teach health and PE boys, six, seven, and eighth grade. 
And when they come into the school as sixth graders, I, I see how they were in elementary school and how it comes up. Same thing happened to us one year. Administrator says, hey, this is gonna be a really bad sixth grade class coming in. And we're like, what are they doing in elementary school for these kids to be already saying they're gonna be bad coming into middle school? Trust me, I feel you on that. But I try to set the tone in my class starting at sixth grade is that, like I said, the title of my class is Boys, Health and Physical Education. From day one, I tell them, I'm not gonna call you boys. I'm gonna call you young men and gentlemen because I'm gonna start treating you like young men and young gentlemen from this day forward. If I slip up and call you boys, correct me on the spot because I'm gonna treat you like young men because I teach in a Title I school, which probably some of y'all do. Our demographics is about 7% African-American, about 25% uh, Hispanic, and then everybody else. Okay, so I see them as they come in, I make sure I go and check their, their information. Is it a two parent home? Is it one parent? Is it the mother? Is it the father? Because I need to have some kind of background before I go into my spill as a teacher. And so as I see, and I'm looking on there as um, Aline was saying, you know, with the parents that they have, it could be single family home. It could be, um, you know, young parents, um, young women having these kids and everything. So like I said, I call them gentlemen, young men, because most of the time I might be the only male black figure that they see in it all day. In my school, we have predominantly female teachers, but as the years has gone on, we've started to have more black male teachers in my school. But like I said, I call them gentlemen from sixth grade, seventh grade. And then when they get to eighth grade, I take the gloves off with them because I'm like, look, you're going into high school next year. The high school that I feed into, they are quick to suspend you, kick you out of school. If you get into a fight, you're getting arrested. You're going to jail. That's it, period. And so I try to make sure I do my best on my end to correct their behaviors right then and to treat them as young men, talk to, talk to them as young men and tell them the truth about what's out there. What y'all see on TV, it ain't real. What y'all think y'all hear in music and videos, it ain't real. And of course, everybody has a cell phone and they have instant access to everything, especially pornography. That's a whole different story, okay? But I try to talk to them as they are young men and let them know the truth about what's going on, what's real out there. And all this, y'all walking around with these $200 pair of Jordan, but you can't buy a $10 belt to keep your pants up. One of my pet peeves right there, pull your pants up. You walking around every five seconds, you gotta pull your pants up, but you got on some $200 Jordan, but you can't buy a belt. That right there, when somebody sees you, the first thing they're gonna think about is, oh, he's a thug, you know? My school allows students to walk around with hoodies on their head. We've all seen about what happens when black men wear hoodies. We've seen that. So I'm trying to like, look, what you see out there, you see it, you hear about it. I need y'all to correct y'all behavior here and now before you start going on, because what you do now is what you're gonna do later on too. So it's, it, 
I try to do my best to try to draw the line right there and try to correct some behaviors. Some may hear what I'm saying, some may not, but I'm gonna be that person that's gonna try to speak to them and let them know what's going on out in the world. Brother Aline, I hear a lot of people say about their kids when they have them young that they don't wanna be parents to their kids, they wanna be friends to their kids. They don't try to correct their behavior. They try to go ahead, well, okay, baby, that's okay. Oh, that's so sweet. And their, their children are imitating what their parents are seeing, especially if you have young parents that aren't really parenting. They're still trying to go out and party and still trying to do things. Kids see that, and then they bring that same type of behavior to school in which now we got to try to correct as you say, your, your mom said she was a glorified babysitter. Sometimes that's how I feel as well. And that if is can, a very real experience. Go ahead, Mark. Have you gentlemen ever considered looking at it through this set of lenses? Because Ms. West um, mentioned in her presentation of the next point, something about the, educa the educational gap exists. How can we how can we address and bridge a gap that was systemically and purposely created? Everything you gentlemen are talking about is systemically rooted, mm -hmm. everything. How can we bridge a gap? Because the, the, the arc, the, the peak and the valley of human development will always have exceptions. The, the, the mountaintop and the river will always have those pebbles in between that just stand the test of time. That's just human development. But how can we address an education gap that was created to be a gap and to stay a gap? Let me tell you how. We need to, we need to segregate ourselves again. Now, that was the message. That was the message around World War II. That was the message with Garveyism. That was the mm -hmm. message with the Black Muslim movement. And as a whole, it that then, although it was founded and thwarted and sat on very, very, very ideological and practical concepts, some of them were very, very, very doable. I don't know if any of you took the liberty to read anything that Marcus Garvey ever rendered but it made a lot. I don't know if any of you have studied Malcolm X's speeches in a parallel way. They made just as much sense practically as Abraham Lincoln's speeches. But those speeches, those teachings, those ideologies can't work in America. In America, it's very, very, very difficult as we live and see on a daily basis particularly with what we do for a living. In America, it is very, very, very hard to take or to unclench a, a system that was founded by hoodlums and criminals and people who act out. All you saw in the hallway, James, in that story you shared, all your son saw in the middle school he attended, Lydia, was America. That's what they saw. That's what we see. That's what we see in our classrooms. We see America. <laughs> and what were, what your son saw in those classes where he came home and told you what was going on, Lydia and James, his story, we saw America. 
That's America, a, a cauldron and mixed up brew of, of misfits. That's what this country is. Now, every single community that's represented in this country has always been charged to take care of their own, okay? But the principles that it's supposed to teach, the doctrine that we're supposed to follow, hypocritically gets instituted when we have a country run by systems. And until things can systematically be changed, nothing's going to change. Well, see, I don't agree with that because because every other culture does it. Every other culture finds a way to segregate themselves from each other, right? For some reason, I don't understand why we can't have our own where we can provide for ours. Because what I think the problem is, is that we're, 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 we're put in a big group, right? So we're like small fish in these big ponds, right? And you know what? Nobody gives a fuck about small fish. Nobody cares about that, right? But if we had our own small pond of our own people, we would take care of our own people. We would teach our kids the way we want them to be taught. We did. Okay. We we did. We did. So, like, we, for example, in in Detroit, I'm from we, Detroit, and there was oh, a hold on a second, Mark. In, one of the neighborhoods in Detroit. It was called Black Bottom, and it was demolished in the 1950s. But it was a predominantly it was all black neighborhood. Black laundry store, black laundry, black grocery stores, black schools. Um, and what they did was they ran I-75 right through it, broke that up. And you got Edgewood in Atlanta. Um, mm -hmm. we all know the we all know the story of Black Wall Street. We all know, remember the movie uh Rosewood. Mm. You know, you think about the highway to nowhere here in Baltimore. It cut through neighborhoods. So we have had enclaves where we were allowed to have our own spaces, our own schools, our own economic systems. We had all that. But they, the man, quote unquote, has done everything to keep these neighborhoods from flourishing with uh, Tulsa and Black Wall Street being the most prominent you know, especially right now with it uh, being on um Watchmen. on HBO on Watchmen. Yeah, Watchmen. You know, everybody's starting to, to to learn that learn that story. But like my grandmother used to tell me about Black Bottom in Detroit, and my great grandmother owned the liquor store. We did take care of our own. We we know about growing up in neighborhoods. You know, going to the corner store to get some milk and some bread, and you know, Mr. John, who runs that store, knows that we don't have any money, but he knows our parents. He knows that we're good for it, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So we we have had those opportunities and they're not allowed to flourish now. But like if you look at Baltimore County, you go up past Towson, white people have locked themselves away and kept us out. You know, um, I, I, I do spend a lot of time in Atlanta because my niece lives down in College Park. So, you know, you go to the north side of Cobb County, you go to, you know, northeast Atlanta, up Georgia 400. Those white people have locked themselves away. You go out to Ellicott City, you know, those Asians have locked themselves away. In Pikeville, the Jews have locked themselves away. And nobody seems to have a problem with that. 
That's okay. what I'm saying. I, I do, but yeah. I, I do want to speak to, to I something. Can tell you why. <laughs> okay, Mark, I'll let you talk. <laughs> they don't have a problem with those those communities and the representation of them because they don't pose a threat. Mm -hmm. They don't pose a threat. Let's be clear. Slavery was not a, a simple and, di and didactic, inhumane, brutal treatment of a people. Slavery was a blueprint. It was a, a well, it was a brilliantly, although evil as fuck, a brilliantly conceived, concocted blueprint to genocidally wipe out a people. They're just pissed because we're still here. We're still here. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is the only act of humanity or inhumanity that has raped a people of every single thing that binds a culture, religion, women, everything. And we're still here. So they're going to make sure systemically that we never, ever rise above a level that they can't control. When are we going to wake up and see that? Yes. There will be exceptions. Yes, there will be bleeps on the radar. Yes, you can throw an Obama and a Kamala in there and make us, you know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of this will be the first black. This will be the first, I'm tired of that shit. All that, all that glory, all that semantically glorifies is that it's a reminder through semantics that you will always be second, third, fourth class. That's all it says. So yeah, we we embrace it. Yeah, we and we teach it. You know what I mean? We'll be in the classroom and be like, "Do you do you guys know this was the first black man who ever did this? You guys know this was the first black woman who ever did this? Did you know that a black man invented this or a black man invented that?" Yeah, we we do it. We're all guilty of that. But all those things, if you think about it, are systemic reminders that this is how it's going to remain because you guys will never ever be considered human in all in, in a lot of different ways and shapes and forms you will never ever ever be considered not that it's a desire of ours to be superior but in their minds you will never ever you will never ever be considered to have any kind of superior position in this country for any extended period of time so, okay, yes, so you look at the Rosewoods, you look at the Tulsa's, you look at all those things. You can look at Towson. Towson, Maryland had a ridiculously vivacious black community in the 50s and 60s that they ripped apart. They're not going to allow it systemically. So when you go down, sorry, Lydia, I just got to get this out of my brain because, you know, it doesn't function that well in the morning. As we dial down into what we do for a living. When we're in front of these children, going back to Brother Dimitri, what he says, what he insists upon when he sets the tone when those kids enter his room, we all do that. You're, you're dead on right about that. It's important. But what I'm sick of, Dimitri, is why we've been taught that that's important. We need to address that. We need to address, I'm sick and tired of telling my three black sons how to act. I'm tired of that. On what to say. I'm giving my son scripts on what to say when this happens. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that. And it's not the way it should be. Yes, James, it exists. Yes, 
I understand we can, me and you can take a ride and ride through East Baltimore and, and, and park with a couple drinks and some whiskey and be like, yo, these motherfuckers is bugging. <laughs> yeah, we can see it. <laughs> we can see it. We can see it clear as day. Yo, why don't we stop that? Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to do that? Yeah, you're right. But the gaps that have been instituted into the fabric of this country are the roots of all those problems. And some of them we tear down, some of them we band-aid, some of them we treat. But all of it, will it ever, ever, ever get healed? Will it ever, ever, ever get fixed to the way that we're treated like humans in the way that we should be? We'll see. Well, so that brings me to, okay, James says we segregate. This research study that was done over 10 years uh, by Stanford University found that while it is not segregation that is the, that's at the heart of this education gap, it is actually poverty that is at the heart of it. And who is the highest populations of that poverty? Well, it is Black and Latinx populations. They, they are actually segregated. How do we fix that? We don't treat the poor in this country the same as we treat the rich. And who are tell the, the truth. rich? It's white people. First of all, tell the truth. Who did the study? One. Stanford you didn't University. say you didn't say Howard and Morehouse. You said Stanford. So let's go there. Okay. One. Two, okay. the highest amount, the, the, the highest rate of poverty in terms of statistics is not with black and Hispanics. It's white people. White people represent the highest percentage of people on poverty in this country, the majority of the people. Three, you just also brought up another what? Another system. Now, psychologically, poverty is a state of mind. It languishes in the minds and the psyches of a lot of people who, who wrestle in it and live with it and who are also one paycheck away from it. But poverty also is a system. It's a system. Some countries in this world don't deal with it. Why? <laughs> so it's a system that's been designed to do what it's done. Okay, so you're saying that if we, even if we were all on the same socioeconomic playing field, that it would not matter. It wouldn't exist. What I'm, that's what I'm saying to you, is that those who are impoverished in this country also don't have the same education and therefore are going to do poorly. Now- Well, hold on, but why is that? Because if all of us are teachers, right? Everybody who is teaching is a teacher that's been educated and been degreed and certified to teach right? Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. makes a teacher in an impoverished neighborhood different than a teacher in a well-off neighborhood? Now, we would say the resources that they have is the yes, issue. Is right? the issue. The resources is the issue, but if you take what we're doing now, we're teaching from home, right? How big of a resource thing is there when when we were when we were less considered less, we had no resources. We had to fend for ourselves, and I feel like we came out better before we started integrating. Well, I think right now with the pandemic and and you know teaching from home, learning from home, 
I think the environment is not is not helpful because when you're at home, what are you? You're comfortable. You're comfortable. Yes. You know what I totally agree. So, so if you're if you're trying to handle business in your comfortable environment, it's not gonna work. It's like two mag two two magnets of the same polarity, right? So I think right now, you know, um a friend of mine, her her daughter um is doing homeschool down in, in Georgia. And I was telling her, I was like, look, tell your daughter to get up, go to the table while you do your work, she does her schoolwork. Because that way you're you're in that in that environment. Shorty is still doing her homework from the bed. So she's not engaged because she's chilling. You know, so that's that's one. But I think like like Mark was saying, in the grand scheme of things, um, yeah, ide- ideologically, it it's a system. It is. And that's the crazy thing. I I, I read uh, Marcus Garvey's books. And it's wild because I'm like, he's talking about the same shit literally a hundred years later. You know what I'm saying? Like nothing has ever changed. But it comes down to to things that we can actually do, right? Teaching our kids about the voting system, right? About local, when I went to vote, there was a young lady in there. She asked one of the, the, the volunteers, well, who do I vote for? She knew the president, but she didn't know about the bond issues with Baltimore County wanting to borrow 20 million for this and 50 million for that. Well, that affects the taxes, right? Um, you know, like vote who's our secretary of, of education for in, in a in the department of education? This lady who has no experience with educators. So things like that, understanding your environment and what's going to affect. Uh, taxes and resources um, to get school. Michael Phelps's mom had two schools, two brand new schools built for her, and she's in Baltimore County. Meanwhile, you go down to Lansdowne or, or or you go somewhere else, and these schools are struggling. Right? It's it does come down to resources, but it also it's a cultural issue also. You got to understand your culture. You got to know what's around you. Aleem, I got to oh. jump in. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Michael well, I was, Phelps. I was going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, bro. Go ahead. You mentioned Michael Phelps, his mother, former principal of Windsor Mill Middle, which the school structurally and physically is barely 10 years old. Barely. Right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the worst middle schools in Baltimore County. <laughs> Hands down. I was uh, I, I was brought to Windsor Mill Middle to shadow um, a department chair, um, uh, English department chair, because I was being recruited and kind of coddled to take that job. And I, I went there to shadow it and also meet with the principal, who was the principal for like five minutes. And it, 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 it isn't a matter of resources all the time. We have newer schools. My oldest son opened Woodhome Elementary School when it was brand new, cut the, cut the ribbon on the sucker. And that school was a blue ribbon school three years later. It's one of the most uh, uh, thriving and better elementary schools in Baltimore County. Now it sucks. It is in the tank. It is terrible. So it, is all, it isn't all about resources. But you mentioned, James. Newtown, too. <laughs> right. Newtown, it isn't all about, right. 
New talent is just as whatever. Now, you mentioned resources. You mentioned you mentioned the complexity and the complexion, if you will, of some communities. Now, some of you have mentioned that you um have taught in different places and are currently teaching in different places. So you you see different places, different spaces, and different things. I'm from New Jersey. When I taught in New Jersey, I taught where I grew up, the hood. It was disgusting, poverty everywhere. When I moved here, I'm look. I taught at Old Court. And you can have middle school, Dimitri. I, I will never visit that planet again. Those, those people are from another planet. I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. I taught at Old Court. I looked out the window while I was teaching world cultures, and I see I saw um, um, grounds and public, you know, grounds people out there mowing the lawn and and and, and cleaning the field. I'm like, damn, I got grass. I saw the grass. I'm like, this is suburbia. The socioeconomic thing was true. The better the community, the better, the better, the better. Bullshit. I teach in Randallstown. Randallstown cosmetically is an affluent community. I teach children of homeowners. I teach children of college graduates. And those kids are just as dumb as the kids I taught in New Jersey. So that whole thing, here's the thing. The children who come out of the impoverished homes versus the children who come out of people who are well-to-do, you know why the kids who come out of those well-to-do homes wind up doing better because whether they get a's and b's or d's and e's they're still well to do right our kids aren't <clears throat> all five of us know that you don't if you're black even 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 the census complexion of your household lydia even 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 with your situation if you're black and if you don't have an education in this country you're fucked Absolutely. What, like say. what do they I call like. a man with a PhD, a master's degree, a college degree, two PhDs? What do they call him? A nigga. Nigga. Mm-hmm. Right, yep. So, but so, so if we can take resources off the, the table, um, and we we're going to say the system is still is I guess this part of the system, right? Then what what is it if we if it's not if it's not what is it about us that gives us, I guess, kind of the audacity to, to raise our kids and allow our kids to not have what they're supposed to have, right? Because I look at, so in Baltimore County high schools, right? Um, uh, uh, we call the west side the dark side and everybody else the light side. Right, <laughs> right. But, I'm at to steal that. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so I, I actually graduated from Mill for Mill Academy, right? Um, but I only was there for one year. I came from Baltimore City, right? And I actually went to Poly, right? So I went from Poly to Mill for Mill, right? But being at Poly, you're still in Baltimore City, right? I don't care. It is Poly, and it is a def def definite a difference in education there than it was at other schools. But that even, even that in itself bothered me a little bit. Like, why was my education at Poly so much different than the education that other people got in the city, right? Why why were we so proud and my peers who went to Walbrook weren't as proud, right? Like, what what is it that, that we 
don't instill in our kids that, and, and I, I say this because at Poly, most of my teachers were white, right? Most of my teachers were white. Most of the students were black though, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the students, when I was at Poly, now prior to me, you know, there was a time where Poly was an all white male school, right? right. By the mm -hmm. time I got to Poly, Baltimore City was 85% black. Poly was 85% black, all right? Mm -hmm. Now, when, when, when my friends who went to Walbrook used to talk to me about things that they did in school, I was a level higher than they were, almost two or three years higher than they were, right? But I had still went to the schools in the city. I never, I could not understand what was it about the school that I went to that made it so much different than the schools that other people went to, right? Now, I know Polly doesn't have to deal with, Polly does not have to deal with the social economics of everybody else because Polly is, is at the time was not a zone school. Everybody from everywhere went to Polly, right? But when I got to Baltimore County, Delaney High School had nothing, but they're in the most affluent neighborhood in Baltimore County, right? Mm -hmm. That school's falling apart. Who's falling apart? Like, that, like the whole air condition issue we had a few years ago, Delaney never had air condition, right? They Spot never on. complained about it either, right? They never had air condition, right? Mm -hmm. But... Delaney is in a fluent neighborhood. School is falling apart, right? Then you got Newtown, that was a brand new school, right? Brand new school. And now Newtown and Delaney High School look similar. It was like, like they done ran down Newtown to the fact that it looks like Delaney, right? Mm -hmm. If we all are teachers, and we all are people who live in this same county, right? Why do we allow our schools to not give our kids the same thing that those people who live in the Delaney area ask for in their neighborhoods? Right. I, I and before, you we answer that, before, before we answer that though, because I just want to add this. We talk about Delaney and Newtown or even we want to talk about Randallstown simply because the affluence of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There is a trust factor that they have at schools like Delaney that we don't have with our students at Randallstown and Newtown. There and is a the trust community. factor. Right. There's a trust factor that they have at my son's school, which is a private school. Now, yes, it is 85% white, maybe even closer to 90 but they are trying to, they're trying to diversify their student population, including my son. And the trust factor that they have at that school with those children who can, they can roam about in non-COVID times, roam about the school between classes. They're not held to one spot in the school at lunchtime. They have entire hour and a half blocks where they get to do, go and do whatever they want. I wanna to go to that attitude of trust plus what you're talking about, go. So I wanna to add to what James was saying about the districts and the schools should be on equal playing fields. Yes, they should be, totally agree. 
I can give you an example because I live, like I said, I live and I teach on the South side. I, I live three miles from my school. Okay, I see my kids in the community all the time. Hey, Coach Brown, how you doing? I can't go nowhere without somebody knowing me, okay? My oldest daughter, who's, who's at Howard right now, we are zoned for South Cobb High School. It's not a bad school, but they had a bad gang problem a few years ago. Could have sent her there, but as a teacher in the county, I could send my kid to any school in the district, right? She wanted to go to North Cobb because of the magnet program up there. Now, my daughter's very smart. She finished with a 3.9 GPA, um, like I said, and she's at higher right now. Because of the rigorous academics up there of that school, um, you know, the Valley Victoria, the school had like a 4.8 GPA, okay? If I would have sent my daughter to South Cobb, she would have been valedictorian of that school. And the level of academics are different from in my district, from the north side, east side, and the south side. Now, I coach track and field at Pebblebrook High School, which is on the south side. That school is one of the oldest schools in the district, and it reflects how the school looks because the district has not poured any money into the school. They got trailers. The track is 10 years old. There are holes in it and everything. Whereas other schools on the other side of the county, they put brand new high schools. They've rebuilt the schools. The school that my youngest daughter went to, they've had two <laughs> put into their school in the 10 years that I've been coaching over at the other school. Why? because it's in a very, it's in an area where there's no representation. They go to board meetings and say, hey, we need this for our school because the people don't do that. Whereas on the other side where white folks go to the board, the board meetings and like, yeah, we need this for our school and they give it to them. And it's because it's not the representation that these schools are having at these meetings. We had a gentleman uh, that was a graduate of, of Pebblebrook that was running for um, the um, county commission, not county commission, but the school board uh, commissioner for that, for that area. And he was like, look, I'm from this area. I'm going to represent you. This is what I want to do. In which the brother that he ran against, not from the area, matter of fact, I don't even know where the dude is from. And he has done nothing for the schools on the South side that he represents on the school board. So we as, as, as a community has to speak up for our schools as well so we can get on that playing field, but it does need to be even across the board. And one of the other biggest factor is property taxes. But so we know it's not gonna ever be even though. It, it's not gonna be even, it's not, but we still need to have some kind, we need to represent ourselves at these meetings to be like, hey, you know, this is what's not happening at our schools, but it's happening over there because these people are saying, we want this and we want this while we're letting our schools on the, on the other side of the county get ran down because there's no representation or nobody's going to these meetings or saying anything. So how we get people to do that then? Well, here's a, here it is, James. We, we're, we're, we're culprits and victims 
all in the same. Uh, you mentioned Delaney High School. Delaney High School is located in a, in a very affluent area of Baltimore County. Now, Delaney, for instance, um, is, in terms of its physical structure, a very, very dilapidated building. It's very, very old. Um, and, but juxtapose Delaney High School with Dundalk High School. Dundalk High School is in a predominantly white community. Dundalk High School, prior to its reconstruction, was one of the worst physical examples of a school building you can possibly imagine. It was absolutely disgusting. And it was left to be for decades. Now, a lot of systemic things have to take place. Delaney's getting this remodeling and refacing and cosmetic surgery because of the community voicing disdain, voicing disgust, voicing exhaustion. And a lot of the counterpoints and examples they used when they were um, rolling out this case was what's happening to other schools. Now, I say all this to say, because Lydia brought up trust. Here are the three things. As horribly constructed or physically torn as Delaney High School was, <clears throat> I'm going to throw a stone at your former school, James. Well, you didn't graduate from there, but you went to Poly. Poly's physical building is disgusting. It's old. It's dilapidated. So is Western. So is City. But you know what they didn't yank out of Delaney, Poly, Western, and City? It's teachers. The right. same, te some of the teachers who taught you when you were in high school are still there. Or died doing it. Right. So what Baltimore County does is that it, it prevents systemically schools like Newtown, your alma mater, Milford Mill Academy, Randallstown High School, Woodlawn High School. It prevents those high schools who look like you and me to get the better, better teachers to teach the children better. I've seen it. I've, I've been in administration through human resources. I'll give you an example. There was a teacher who was hired, and Lydia knows I know because I'm, I'm, I'm all up in these offices at Randallstown. I, I'll, I'll, I'll bust in that shit and be like, yo, why is this happening? I don't give a fuck who the principal is. <laughs> there was a teacher who was assigned to Randallstown, a science teacher. She told the principal the assistant principal that hired her and the HR person, I am not reporting. I do not want to teach there. I ain't going. So for the first month and a half of the school year, there was a long-term sub in that slot, which is another topic we need to get to a little bit later if we're going to talk about education. Flip it, I knew of a teacher who was transferring from a Baltimore County high school. I can't remember the Baltimore County high school that it was and was an outstanding science teacher and wanted to teach at Randallstown because of proximity issues, because of where they lived. Human resources blocked it and placed that teacher at Carver. Now you look at Carver's test scores, you look at Randallstown's test scores. Systemically, they keep us where we are. Do you know what some superintendents and some assistant superintendents that have come and gone through Baltimore County public school system have sat down and told the principals of these schools that look like you and me. So I've had, I, I, I had the pleasure of being under a principal at Randallstown because we've had about 30 of them in my tenure there. 
But I've had the pleasure of being under a principal at Randallstown who used to share this shit with me. And she said to me that you want me to, this is what she was saying to the people, you want me to raise my test scores. You want me to lower my D&E rate. You want me to increase my graduation rate, but you're yanking for my teachers. So do they yank those teachers and put them in a- In schools that they want them to be in. So like what what what's what do what are they padding the schools so it pads pads the the county scores or something like that? I don't they look I was in a position to when I Lydia remembers this, I was the dean of students for one year. And that year, I would say, James, I'm not even gonna lie, and maybe Lydia can back me up on this, maybe for about I think it was like every other four days, motherfuckers was in our building dance the assistant superintendent the head of hr it was just there every other fucking week and one of them stopped me tapped me on the shoulder he's like yo mark what's up man like when we gonna do this and i'm looking at him like when we gonna do what like look i got a spot for you like just let me know when you're ready i was like ready for what he's like i, I really 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 need you at woodlawn i looked this brother in his eyes and said i don't know what you're smoking but i don't want any of it they put us where we are. If you want to be an administrator in Baltimore County and you're a black man, guess where you'll never be an administrator? Delaney, Towson. You're not going there. But isn't that a good thing? Yeah. Why? Don't don't we because it's us. Don't. It's us. <laughs> it's us. Yeah. Now, okay, fine. So look at the look at the high schools you're talking about. Your high school, um, Milford Mill, the entire administration minus one person is black. Mm -hmm. Look at our high school, the administration at Randallstown High School. The entire administration minus two people are black. Look at Woodlawn. I think the entire administration is black. Look at Newtown, black principal. Woodlawn, black principal. Randallstown, black principal. Milford, black principal. Test so score, are you, low. So are you saying that at that just because these administrators are black, they're not effective at their job. No, Te schools are effective, Aline, when they have good teachers. So are you but saying that the administration doesn't know how to put good teachers in the school? No, they're trying, James, but human resources is blocking it. So the you're schools if the administrators were white, they wouldn't block those situations. If the schools were. Well, okay, so I, I'm gonna use Milford as an example, right? I am because my wife teaches at Milford, and my wife taught at Old Court and she taught at Milford, and so they they're in the same neighborhood. And I want to say that in the course of the time that she has taught, I feel like the community has bought in more into the school. Right now, I'm gonna say more, not greatly but more. Right? I agree. I agree. I, 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 I feel like that there's a sense of pride in that area for the actual school. Now, does that mean your test grades are going to go up? No. Right. I think a little bit of, uh, and we're talking about high school at this point, but I think the, a, a lot of the reasons why the test scores aren't up higher is because somewhere in the bottom part, the foundation is where 
academically, it hasn't been structured well enough, right? Now, wherever that systemic issue is, it affects, to me, the elementary schools more than it affects everybody else because that's where our issues begin, right? So by the time, by the, time you're, the kids get to us, they're already rooted in this system, right? They, the, their families are already rooted in this system, right? So if, if you are a kid, like moving from Baltimore City to Baltimore County was supposed to be an a, a upgrade for me, right? That was like, that was supposed to be the thing. Like my friends was like, oh, you're going to be skateboarding to school, right? I lived in Milford Mill. And when I moved to Milford Mill, Milford Mill was majority Jewish, right? In like, like probably 10 years, there is no more Jewish people that live in Milford Mill. Now, they never went to Milford Mill. <laughs> we had a, we had a synagogue on our street every Saturday morning. I'd be out there cutting the grass, and I see them walking down the street to the synagogue. Right, that slowly stopped. Right, so but the black people in that neighborhood that I used to live in when I grew up are still in that neighborhood. Right, those those parents who have kids who are now grown now. Right, like I have friends who graduated with me who have kids that go to Milford. My son goes to Milford. Right. So that neighborhood in itself has found a way to, to trust the school enough not to send them anywhere else, right? But there, there are academic issues that to me are, aren't addressed earlier, early enough for it to, to be fixed by the time we get to them, right? Um, I teach engineering, right? I taught a lesson about the Pythagorean theorem and I just happened to get observed the day that I was teaching this lesson. My vice principal who in my meeting, my, my, my post observation meeting asked me why did I feel the need to teach that lesson? And I said, because my kids don't know the Pythagorean theorem. Well, the, the point, the lesson was part of the curriculum though too, right? And we were teaching about the triangle because uh, they were doing something where it had to travel from point A to point B and they had to calculate how the distance it would travel. So I was teaching the Pythagorean theorem, right? The part about the Pythagorean theorem that the kids did not get the most was the exponents part. The exponents part is something you learn in the sixth grade, all right? Because that's where multiplication is done, right? My ninth graders and some of my 10th and 11th graders could not get that part. That is the part that was the hardest part. Once I taught the formula, they could get the formula. That was easy, right? But they did not understand square roots. Right? They did not understand how to square, right? That is something that they did not understand from prior to that. And when my vice principal said that I was wasting the time teaching that lesson because the kids should know that, I said, but they don't. I was like, you could, the kids should know a lot of shit by now, but they don't, right? And I'm gonna tell you, I, 
a lot of the kids don't know. A lot of the parents don't know that the kids don't know. And so we allow them to keep getting the same shit all of the damn time. So when we our kids graduate from Milford, I don't care what their GPA is, they're not academically on the same level as the kids that graduate from Delaney because the system educationally has moved at the pace that the kids allowed or whatever the system allowed them to move. The foundation is not laid. So when we get to high school, we're trying to go back and teach some shit that they should have learned. And they're, 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 they're middle school or even elementary school time, right? Like you said, your parents don't be coming to the board meetings, right? Our parents don't come to the board meetings neither, right? Like those things are things that I think if we, as segregated as Baltimore County is, we don't put our importance on the right stuff. Mm -hmm. And if we could force feed and some of the priorities that if education is supposed to be a priority for, for us as a people to become better, if we could force feed that into our neighborhoods where our parents and our, our families cared enough to be more involved, like don't just fuss when your kid's getting a bad grade. Don't wait till the kid actually get the fucking grade. Exactly. Check before the kid gets to that grade, right? Look back on it and say, hold on. Why is this not happening for you, right? And don't let them put your kid in a box. Because by the time your kid is put in the box, it's over with. Yeah. And by the time they deem your kid needing the IEP or 504 or BIP, mm -hmm. right? You're done. That, your, that shit is gonna be with your kid, right? Well, well, first of all, the parents are ignoring the fact that, yeah, their kid needs some help. And they were like, oh, my, I'm, my kid is fine. I want my kid to be included in just a regular class. No, your kid doesn't. One, because you're not paying attention to the kid's grades. You're not paying attention to parents sending emails or calling home about your kid. You're not coming to the parent-teacher conferences the only parents that come to parent-teacher conference are the kids that got are the ones who don't need to be there. Who don't need to be there. So, <laughs> right. and I'm doing this whole damn pandemic and everything. They do need to be there. That's why their kids are doing well. Right, right. But you, know, was, but you yeah. know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, kid, I teach PE. There's no way in hell a kid should be failing PE, right? But yes, I have kids that fail PE because one, when we was in regular school, Dressing out was 50% of their grade. Change your clothes, put on a t-shirt, some shorts, some sweatpants or whatever. Kids didn't want to do that. I'm calling home. Hey, your son is not passing because one, he don't want to change clothes. So my thing is a fundamental question when you ask your child, why are you not changing clothes for PE if that's 50% of your grade? All you got to do is just change clothes. You can pass the class. So it's simple things like that with these parents and, it's, and especially um, it, it, like y'all might know, a lot of single parent homes, you know, where there is this disconnect where the parents don't want to have that conversation with their kids about them being in school with simple things like right now during this pandemic, not being able, not logging on to class. You know, I have several kids that are failing because they're not logging on, and then the administrators at school want us to chase these kids. I'm like, I ain't got time to be chasing kids. These parents 
are leaving these kids at home and are expecting them to do the right thing. And so I wanna go back to what Aline was saying about resources where, and, and this is my personal theory that the North and the, and the East side wanted, a, wanted, them, wanted kids to go back to school because one, they have the resources where their kid can go to school or not. But on my side of the county, the kids don't have the resources. They don't have laptops. They don't have access to Wi-Fi like they should, or they or they're at home taking care of their siblings while they're trying to be online um, at school and doing stuff like that. And you know, as parents, you know, I I have two girls, and thank God, you know, that my kids really didn't have to deal with this pandemic stuff. Um, when they was in going through school, but I, I, I understand how parents are having to go to work, leave their kids at home, and hopefully depend on them to be able to do what they're supposed to be doing academically, and kids aren't doing that, and it's not fair to the kid, really, it's just the shit that's going on right now, and to me, that is going to be one of the biggest learning gaps um, that we're going to be facing because like you said, even when kids were in school and they're with you face to face, they're still not learning something, but they're still there. And you still have that face to face opportunity to really talk to the kid and be there for them. Whether I got y'all right here on a zoom call. And then I got my other kids sitting over here in the classroom and I got to try to balance between back and forth. It's, it's not a thing that's going to really work out long term. And so that's why I say this shit is dumb as hell. But parents as a whole have to do a lot better with these kids, starting from when they're in elementary school and knowing that this kid don't know their alphabets by the time they get to the third grade. Um, and the schools are just pushing them along. And then when they come to middle school, we got to do the same thing and we got to play catch up and now they're in remedial classes or now we got to have um, uh, RTI meetings with them and the parents and then the parents don't want to acknowledge that your kid needs help. Your kids need help. And then when they get to high school to you, James, that's what you got to deal with. Because I had that same experience with an administrator coming into my health class. And he's like, why are you giving them handouts? because when I actually try to teach some real health to them, they can't get it and understand the assignment that I'm giving them. But if I give them a handout in which the handout goes directly with the book and they still can't get that. So what do you want me to do? You want me to teach them something more rigorous when they can't get this something that's more simple. I need, I need some help with this. Help me, help me, so. I need, um, I need Aline, to find I know. rigorous. <laughs> well, well hold, hold on one second, James, because um, I know Aleem has been wanting to get in for a minute. Well, no, I was, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm going to make one more point. I got to I gotta shoot out of here. But um, I just want to say, first of all, you know, it was great talking to everybody. Um, then we got to do it again. But I just want to say that it, it is important because, like, I had a real bad stuttering problem as a kid. Um, and my mom was a teacher in the school that I was t uh, going, you know, she, she was teaching and I was going to school there. They wanted to put me in um, remedial classes. They wanted to put me in special ed. And she had to fight her coworkers to tell them like, no, he just, he just 
talks too fast, you know, because she understood that once you put a student in that box, it's it, you know, and, and we know that, you know, my niece went to one of the best high schools in Detroit and I used to go to her parent teacher conferences. Number one, it would be funny because I'm like, you know, to see, well, it's not funny, but, you know, seeing kids, it just brought, brought back memories and all of that. But her teachers used to ask me, like, you know, you don't need to come here. She's got all A's. I'm like, well, that's how I show that, how she knows that I'm serious about her education so that she would stay on top of that. Um, but that's me. That was my mom. Um, and that was also her. So it's important to try to get the kids to understand for themselves how important it is for them. You know, right. because it, I I could want, I could want, you know, you could want, everybody could want more for their kids. But if the kids don't want it themselves, then we're just wasting oxygen, you know? Um, and, and so it's a, it's a community thing, how to, how to get parents involved. And it's almost a never, a never ending question that, that will never be answered. I hope we can do this again. Um, I'll be a little more prepared and all of that, but it was great talking to everybody. Hope y'all have a good day. Everybody keep keep up with a good fight. Thank you, Aleem. Talking about community, Mark and I so often um, because of theater uh, and trying to get parents involved and community involved, apathy is the number one word that we use because we can't battle that? How do we battle that as Black educators, as Black parents who care? How do we get our Black parents and Black educators, frankly, sometimes to not be apathetic? I know we are tired. We, <laughs> we, are, we are tired of a system that is trying to keep us down, but we also have to, we also understand that education is what we need to get out of this and out of that school to, to prison pipeline, what, I guess in a way to kind of round this out, what are your final thoughts on how to beat apathy because we are so tired of a system that is systemically trying to keep us down? Well, we, we, we can opt to expose our children to what we deem as better to what we deem as something that will afford them a better opportunity once completed, or we can opt to do, which sometimes becomes painfully dichotomous with me and you, Lydia, at Randallstown, we can opt to stay in it and work hard and work harder and work the hardest to get the buy-in from the community and in the form and method by way of theater, we can, you know, do a show that we think the community will want to see. We can write a show that we think the community will want to see, and we can we we tried it all. So there 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 are choices, and some painful, and some you know not so that we can do, or we can look to see if we can make the change from within and make it something, you know, like you and I probably go to sleep every night during the process of producing and directing a play hoping that this this cloud just breaks through ah, and everybody just shows up and we have a full house and everybody sees the show but realistically that usually and 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 hasn't happened so we can stay in the fight 
and keep on trying to break down the barriers brick by brick. Or we can say, you know what, bunk it. I want my kid to be um, to get the best opportunity that's out there, and this opportunity just isn't the best. So I'm gonna go try to try to do this one. So it, it's it's really, 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 really a struggle and a tug of war with us as parents of kids sometimes, and as teachers of children. And so we see people do the left, and we see people do the right, and then somewhere along the way we find ourselves in the middle. I think for me is uh i try to continue talking to my my gentlemen at school and hopefully if i can reach one or two would love to reach all of them but if i can just reach a handful of them and as they go on and hopefully that can give them some influence or some type of way of life that you know there is something better out there for them and that they can pass it down I do my best with my students at school. I try to do my best with my athletes as my athletes are high school athletes as they're going out the door and graduating and making sure that we teach them that even though you're running track, the, the mentality that you have when running track is that mentality you need to have in life. Um, you got to keep pushing forward even when you can't, when your body is saying, I can't, I can't move, I can't go any further, but you have to, and not just to give up when you think the odds are against you. Um, so just trying to be there for my students, for my athletes. And if I have one student come back to me one day and say, coach, you were right, you were right. To me, I think that is one of the greatest uh, accomplishments that a teacher can have when my daughters have their families and everything and they finally understand was like yeah dad now i finally get it to me that is a success story in itself i, I guess a lot of my point of reference is from my limited experience in education now mind you i've only been teaching seven years and my background is engineering Right. That was, uh, I was an engineer by trade for 14 years before I became a school teacher. With my limited experience, I guess I have, and being an engineer, my engineering mind is efficiency and problem solving. And I see this problem that we have as a people overall, because I touch kids at a point in their life where they're about to develop into adults and have kind of started drawing their own ideologies about things that I try to sway them in some kind of positive direction, right? Now, of course, I would love to sway them in whatever direction I feel is best for us, right? But eventually, they're going to have to make their own decisions and choices in life, right? But I also know that in high school, parents are less hands-on, right? It's probably a lot harder to get your community involved with your school in the high school level than it is in the earlier stages. One, because one, parents just are protective of their kids, right? So in, in elementary school, 
you'll probably see a lot more parents involved just because they want to make sure their kids are safe, right? As they get older, they kind of let go of that stuff, right? I wish that it could be a way we could have forums with our parents in elementary schools to let them know that if we if we let go of our kids in any kind of way, this could happen or that could happen, right? Because we have a little bit of examples of good and bad from, from just this situation, right? I mean, post, post-integration, right? Post-systemic whatever, right? We can't ever fix that systemic system because it's not enough time and it's not enough of us, right? There's not enough of us that care, I should say. But I think if we could like have forums where we talk to parents and ask them, what do you see for your kid? What would you like to see for your kid? And then ask them, how do we get there, right? Now, us on this forum, we kind of have an idea of how to get there. But if we could critically make the, make, make these, these individuals critically think about how to get that way, right? Maybe if they thought about it, because I, I don't think most people actually think about it, right? But maybe if they thought about it, they would put more effort into getting what they want or supposed to have. They wouldn't allow things like the best teachers taken out of your school and put somewhere else. They wouldn't allow your resources to be as limited because we would we would be, what do they say, the, the squeakiest wheel gets the oil? We would be the squeakiest wheel. We would be making noise just like every other community does when they're not feeling like they're getting what they get, what, right? They put people in place to fight that fight for them. And I think we don't do it just because one, we don't think we can, and two, we don't know how. And so I think eventually, let me say you get you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Eventually we'll get sick and tired of being sick and tired and try to, and I, I thought, I actually thought that this last summer, with the heat of this last summer, that this was our sick of tired, of being sick and tired moment, right? I am hoping to see something different in the future than we had in the past, right? Just from this, right? Because now it's almost become trendy to be for Black people. So since it's become trendy to be for Black people, let us be great now. This is like, just let's, let's follow this trend, use those white people for what they want. You know, they, they want to be on the right side of history. Use it, use it to our advantage. But right now, we, in this moment, this Black Lives Matter moment, right? Make them actually prove that it really matters, right? Hold people accountable. Our system is the way it is, all right. We know it's that. Let's start holding people accountable for allowing the system to be that. Question is, how exhausting would that be? Because you know, we'll give up real easily. You know, those riots looked like they were going were going to go on forever, and then they stopped. <laughs> right? Like we we sustained about a good probably a good two months, right? With Portland. 
And all those cities up there still fighting that fight for a little while after 30 days, right? Like, I, I feel like every everybody has a 30-day limit. But they, they kept they kept pushing it for a little while, right? But then you stop hearing things about it, right? Hopefully, that drives us to want to have better for our people, especially our kids. Because right now, you say that, that there's a gap. That gap is going to be there forever unless we change our habits. The things that we used to letting happen to us, we can't let those things happen to us anymore. We got to change within ourselves before we can ask somebody to change for us. I'm going to come back to you, James, in a minute. Any final thoughts? Or to a point you were making, James, I should say. Mark, I saw you unmuted. James brings up some uh, good stuff. And like all movements, all movements have um, hot spots and dry spots. I mean, cold spots, rather, um, even the civil rights movement was kind of dead for about a year and a half before something happened to reignite it. So all movements go through that. But one thing that you said that um, struck a chord in me, particularly with those assembled in this particular call. Yeah, I think particularly the men on this call are, are, are ready to do some of the things that needs to be done, are ready to listen to some of the things that need to be heard, you know, forward, forward with the good fight. But what we have to um, ask ourselves, James, as Black folk, is what are we willing to risk? That's the big thing. You know, I have two college-aged sons and I, who were staying with me at the time, and I heard through the vents and through my thin-ass apartment walls them complaining and like, yo, this is effed up, man. Like, you know, this, this, this president we got is a freaking idiot. And how, how are they just shooting us dead in the streets and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one of them one morning, the youngest one out of the three, who's a freshman at Randallstown, busted into my room was like, dad, yo, we going, we, yo, we, we, we got to do something. We, we got to start marching. We got to start protesting. We got to start rambling on and on and on and on. And the black man in me, the black male in me, who, who was just off the hook in college when I was in college. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah I remember that skit from Saturday Night Live where Eddie Murphy was on Saturday Night Live. He was like, kill the white people. Like that was me. <laughs> I was off the chain in college. Very, very, very militant. So that part of me got awakened and I was like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. But I had to pause. I had to pause and I'm like, okay, guys, I feel your energy. I feel your, 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 your thing here, but I want you to be a little bit more calculated. I want you to start thinking about the types of things that you can do without basically giving them the message without putting yourselves at risk. So are we willing to die for this? Are we willing to lay down our lives, whether it be the kind of life we pick, the professional life, the uh, educated life? Uh, whatever life that what are we willing to spare like previous people have done in the history of our people what are we willing to spare in order for this movement to progress and i'll i'll leave with that finally no i that that is that is the crux of it you know we understand the system that is in place we understand that the people who can change that system from the top down are not going to so what do we do to make them? I love 
James, your idea of a forum to go to, to elementary schools to say, look, this is what happens if you don't. We watch the news, even if it's news in our community, we still don't feel it unless something happens to our own. So if there was just a way to, to make that, to quell that apathy before it affects them 10 years down the road and, and to keep that enthusiasm, to keep, to keep battling the apathy, I would, I would love that. I would, I would, that I'm actually, the wheels are kind of turning there for me. I would love to come back to that. In general, I want to come back to this conversation, maybe after, uh, maybe after the school year is done and, and see where, you know, where we can move forward. We've talked about the issue and now I, I really do want to look for solutions to move forward. I thank all of you for being here. I've enjoyed this so much. You guys have a great day. And you guys have certainly made my day today. Thanks Thank for, you for having us. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Tiger Tiger Burning Bright. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tiger Tiger Burning Bright Podcast and on Twitter at TTBB Podcast. I hope you'll join me next time when we talk about even more things to help us all burn so bright.